As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. James, it's a it's a gray kind of crappy weather day in October. It feels like November. How are you feeling? Are you are you smiling? <laughs> it is yesterday i was like i gotta i gotta get out my step counter says i haven't done anything all day and i, I, I opened the door to go for a walk last night it was like nine o'clock and i was like you know what i'm not doing this and it was like it was like three degrees and pouring rain and i'm someone who likes the fall but i gotta tell you man the fall in toronto sometimes can be uh it's not the same as as, as in bc what i grew up with what do you think the worst month of the year is in toronto i hate like I think March. I think I hate the most. Okay, Cause just because you're over winter it's and like still going. It's just like oh my god, or maybe even April. I find like oh my god, it's still it's still bad. <laughs> see April at least like you start to see like glimmers of it getting nicer. Yeah, November has got to be in the bottom five for sure. Well, yeah. Even though we're I not don't there know, yet. the winter here is just for me. Cause I spent 22 years growing up in Interior BC, where the winter's only like three or three and a half months long, and then trying to live here like. Full respect to people that do, because I just find it so long. And I, especially, you know, when we used to travel more, we you would always, you'd mix in like a Florida trip in like February or whatever, and those things would keep you going. And the pandemic, obviously, that that wasn't happening. And it's just, it's a long, you're, you're inside with two kids for five months. It's a, it's a long go. Agreed. A hundred percent. But well, at least, at least we have Leafs hockey to keep us, keep us warm, right? keep us interested so there is obviously a lot going on uh the Leafs are four games into the season as we record this and already like so much has happened like I was mentioning to you it's like Murray's been hurt Muzzin's been hurt Keith has called out the team 
twice, really. They've lost to two of the worst teams in the league from last year. Uh, but I think we got to start with what's most recent, and that's the Arizona game. Yeah. Um, well, Jonas, I actually have something to say if if you can. Oh, yes. You have a rant. Me the, Go ahead. Me- <laughs> the floor is yours. Okay. So, Jonas, I had a bad feeling about the Arizona Coyotes game. You know, I said, if you listen to the podcast last week, I said as much. You were saying, I'm not going to go. I was like, I don't know. Something might happen. It might be worth. I know it's a bad team, but it's probably worth seeing how the Leafs play against a bad team. So, it's a Monday night. The building is deathly quiet. I wasn't there, but people who who were there reported back. They're playing a bottom feeder. They're coming off a nice win on a hockey night in Canada. So, they say, sure, let's put the AHL kid in goal. Let's spin the wheel. You know, not a big deal. Uh, then you're watching the game, and what in the Justin Hall was that? Bang, bang. They're down by two. Pour another drink. One for me and one for you. One for Punch, too. Uh, the whole thing was really painful to watch. A big goal for Nick Ritchie. Where the heck was Slick Mitchie? Losing 2 nothing in Arizona's first line has Travis Boyd. The Leafs fans, by then, they're staring into the void. Down goes Jake Muzzin. The millions on LTIR are up to a dozen. But the Leafs came storming back, as they tend to do. They tied the game not once but twice, which if you paid $300 to sit in the golds was pretty nice. But with overtime nearing and the crowd finally cheering, the call Jonas came from above. No goal because of a glove. Morgan Riley, you see, he had touched the puck. Some hockey fans would watch all that and say, eh, bad luck. But for Leafs fans, who have seen it so many times before, it was simply, what the fuck? That was excellent. I was not <laughs> expecting that. Wow. Was, that was great. Yeah, that was. Uh, that's my take on the Leafs losing to the Arizona Coyotes. You've covered a lot. Um, I think we have to start with where Sheldon Keefe kind of ended up after the game. Man, that was good. I, I was not expecting that. It's like all of a sudden I've got like a, a beautiful story a beautiful poem almost um but so sheldon keith if if you listen to what he said versus just reading what he said it sounds a little different like it's not quite as yeah um it, it, yeah it kind of got played up as like he was like burning the house down kind of thing right yeah but and then if you listen to it it's like well he's kind of just being a little bit matter of fact like our best players haven't been our best players yet and they weren't in that game against arizona so let's start there. Like we're four games in, four games in. I think the first question I, I we need to ask is: Was it a mistake to even go there uh, for Sheldon Keith? Because the more I've thought about it, the more I think I think as the head coach here, you should probably try to keep the fire down, not stoke it. And I think just mentioning that stuff just ends up stoking it. I just don't think it helps. Agree or no? I just you know what it feels like, Jonas is this year is different and that I, I generally speaking i think that that we've we've talked about this you know in previous seasons and you know the coach needs to maintain the message and whatever it just this year just feels like they're they're all in from day one so that that's why i think it's a little bit different this year will it will it blow up on them like will will the message get get tired and get old if it's you know I think part of, you know, what's interesting is that last year they started the year so poorly that 
even the team and, and, and anyone in the media or the fans can be like, well, last year they only won two of their first seven and look at the year they had. But what if it doesn't happen this year? Like what, you know, you can't, you can't sleepwalk through the first seven games just thinking we'll come out of it eventually. I mean, what happens if seven games becomes 20, you know? And so it's, it, it's so fascinating that they, you look at the schedule. I remember looking at the schedule and it's like, boy, they, they start the year with like, a lot of not great teams. Like if you look at the, their October is a lot of games, but not a lot of very good teams. And that seems to be like the kryptonite for this team. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the schedule and you would think that they would be three and one, four and oh, like they, you can't lose to Montreal and Arizona. Like that's, this is like I mentioned they to you, do, this though. is how you lose. They lost yeah, both. But this Didn't is- they, lose, they lose two games to Arizona last year, right? Yeah, you want to know how you lose the division? This is how you lose the division. Wow. But so going back to Keith, I mean, we're not even talking about t- the division right now, which is uh, like even just look at the schedule upcoming. You know, it's like Dallas, Winnipeg, uh, San Jose, Anaheim. Like, there's a lot of they, they got Philadelphia yeah. the first game in November. Like Philadelphia is unbeaten. <laughs> but James, <laughs> to go back to your torts. point, so, so, it's a torts effect. So you're saying. Yeah, so you're saying it's um, it's early. Basically, he's trying to nip this stuff in the bud like as mm-hmm. soon as he can. I just don't know how many times you can keep doing this. Now, obviously, you're hoping you don't have to keep doing this because things turn around. But like you do it after the Montreal game and you do it after the, the Arizona game, you risk like kind of like losing your your guys. Like you kind of when you keep kind of doing this. Mm-hmm. So that's what I I would worry about if I I was. Sheldon Keefe? I just think that Sheldon Keefe has enough bandwidth with those players that we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the where you run into trouble is if this goes on for two months, and then what what are you pulling out of your bag of tricks? What are you gonna say? Exactly. What right? are you gonna say in two months if if you know they're you know, it, that's when the the message can get tired. I don't there's a lot of we asked for questions from from the listeners and we got we got more questions than I think we've ever had before. It's over a hundred. And uh a lot there's a lot of Sheldon Keefe stuff in there. Like I think too much. And you know, you can already see it building in like the talk radio and I, I understand why you're asking it, but I also think that the the like Sheldon Keefe's in trouble narrative has been like they've been it's been trying to people have been trying to build that since training camp and I don't know that I buy that. Well, I don't buy that either, but I, I I do think it's 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 an interesting tactic that he's chosen chosen to take after these games, like to do what he did after the Montreal game. Now that is calling out the team. That is the I, you could maybe more quibble with that than the Arizona game, and yet they were pretty bad in that Montreal game. So, and he was really pissed off. But so, James, in that Arizona game, let's go into like how the top players have performed. The line of Bunting Matthews Marner in seven minutes and 40 seconds. This is per natural strat trick. 41% expected goals. The line of Dennis Malgan, John Tavares, and William Neander in about five minutes. 16% expected goals. So you can understand what he's saying. Those guys weren't difference makers. And yet, like Matthews had some good looks, like they there were opportunities to score, and yet those numbers are what they are. And you look through four games, Matthews has a goal, Tavares has a goal, Marner has a goal, Neander has three, but I don't think he has a five-on-five goal to this point. So I, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that their best guys haven't really got going because they haven't really got going for the most part. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, it's not even just 
the points. I mean, they've had flashes. They've, you know, you know, we talked about in the first two games, you could see some, some things on the power play, but then, you know, they, then they've had the problem for me against <clears throat> Arizona was it was very clear what the Coyotes game plan was. It was, it was packed yes. the front of the house and collapse and, and just get in the way and, you know, let them take shots from the outside and the Leafs did it, you know, and it would be nice if, if, Toronto's players could learn this lesson early this season that when a team is doing that, you got to alter your game plan and do something different because, you know, it reminds me actually of you go all the way back to the the Columbus series in, in the bubble when it was kind of like, you know, the games were 2-1 or one nothing, and, you know, Toronto had a really hard time adapting. Their best players had a hard time adapting. Uh, and that's what the Arizona game felt like to me. Like there was still so many shots from the perimeter and, you know, you the third. You look at the third period, and they controlled the run of play to a huge extent, and and they did have have the comeback. Um, but why they, they need to play like that for the whole game, and they need to try and penetrate a little bit better. They need to get someone to the front of the net, and they need to draw penalties and push through the checking and the holding and in the offensive zone a little bit better than they have so far. Well, in that game, they had 18 shots blocked and they missed the net 15 times. Yeah, it just felt like they were just like, they had the umbrella at the top and they were just throwing a bunch of stuff and Arizona was fine with that. I mean, like, if you're if you're that team, that's the game plan that makes sense. And I don't think that the Leafs adapted to that very well. Well, so I, I did think that the Matthews line was pretty good in the, I can't remember if it was the Washington game or the Ottawa game. Um but they've obviously not gotten going. I I don't know what they're going to be able to do with this Nealander Tavares thing, James. Like, it's it's basically the same thing as last year that's happening. Like, they're giving up as much as they get. They're getting stuffed in the offensive zone, and it 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 really hasn't mattered. Like, do you think they can play together, or like, what do you do? Do you try Yarncroft there? Do you try Robertson there? Do you break them up? Like, it's funny they went back to it again because it's been so long now where we've seen it and it does doesn't really work. But I think that he didn't want to break up the top line after the year they had last year. Yeah, and he wanted to have kind of a third slash fourth lines that had specific uses, and those specific uses didn't really fit William Nylander. So it's like okay, <laughs> so. If you don't want to do either of those things, then, you know, it's like musical chairs. You, you you come up with the lines you want for your fourth line and your first line and your third line. And then the only spots left are those two guys playing together on the, on the second line again. But I, I think it's, it feels at this point, like almost like a chemistry thing. Like you don't even see those guys like hit each other with great passes very often or like it's not when, when. Do you remember when remember when Matt Sundin played with Alex McGillney and just like the chemistry they had yeah. and like like you almost wouldn't even always know who the third guy was I think you know often it was Gary Roberts but but sometimes it was it was just like a two man unit and and like the way that McGillney would be able to find Sundin all over the ice like I don't Tavares and, and Nylander don't have that it happens sometimes but you're right it's not like it's like a a frequent all the time thing um. So I don't know what you do. I, I maybe you have to really contemplate breaking up that that top line. I don't know. Like it's it's great if your top line is amazing, but if the other line can't really hang, well, probably the most. Like, are you coming out ahead? The I guess the easiest thing to do would be Marner with Tavares. I mean, 
Yeah. The, the thing that's good about that is we've seen in the past that remember when Matthews was hurt and Tavares was playing on that line and last year yeah. within in how how well he played. Yeah. Um so that's the good thing is that we've seen that succeed several times before. Yeah, I think it's something that they have to contemplate or I mean maybe you have to contemplate doing what they did in the second half last year where you played Neander elsewhere like maybe you play him with Kerfoot and you play Tavares with like Yarncrock and like I don't know Robertson or Engvall and just try to change the look a little bit here's one thing James that's like starting to stand out to me like we talked a lot about their depth up front um in the offseason and coming into the year and in the early going it was like yeah they have actually more depth than we thought they would and while I think that's true, I think their depth is more like they have utility in terms of depth, like their depth guys can do more stuff. But offensively, I think it is what I thought it was going to be now that I've seen it a little bit. Again, four games. But they kind of miss like a little bit of game breaking from lower in their lineup with Mikheyev gone, with Kasha gone. Like that Kerfoot, Yarncroft, uh, Engvall line, they've been good, but like none of those guys scare you. Like those guys aren't really threats to score in the way that Kasha was or in the way that Mikheyev was. And then the fourth line is obviously not a, a threat to score at all, really. So it's like they you take away the Tavares line not being much of a threat and the third line isn't a threat and the fourth line's not a threat. And it's like, well... Yeah, they. I mean, the... the you whole, know what I mean? The whole idea... Yeah, like the the fourth line especially, you know, all of a sudden you're not, you're not really seeing... And the idea with those guys was that they were going to play their 10 minutes a game and, and really shut the opposition down and they were going to eat the defensive zone starts. And they've been okay at that, but they really need that that Kerfoot line. Like, it's almost like it, I've said this. I know, I know I've said this in the past, but Kerfoot seems to be a guy that when you play him with really good players, he, he compliments them well and elevates them. And that's why he had the 50 points last year because you play him with you know, Tavares for a lot of the season and he's able to really make that work. But then if you play him with lesser players, he you don't notice him as much. Yeah, offensively, at least for sure. And like, I like Yarncrook, but like, or am I saying it wrong, James? Yarncrook? Is that a, like the, what's the proper pronunciation? He he kind of clarified it and I haven't got it yet. Yarncrook. Can you say it like that? Okay. <laughs> Not going to be able to do that. I'll just call him Cali. Uh, he's, he, like he is what he is. Like he's, I don't think he's a guy who's going to, I don't think he's going to score 20 goals. He's never scored 20 goals. Um, and he's another so guy too that I think that if you play him with more talented players, like we saw a bit in the preseason, then he can kind of elevate and look a bit better. And, you know, I think that instead of Malgin, they got a, one of the things they could yes. do is play young, young play him there instead of uh Malgin. And that would make sense. But the, you know, and I, I think for sure Nick Robertson's coming into the lineup against Dallas, play against his brother. He's going to be motivated. You probably want to play him with some good players as well. Well, and, and obviously the natural thing to do would be to play him with Tavares and Neander. We're going to see. Like this, We're recording this just before practice on Wednesday. Uh, so by the time people are listening to this, they will know. You will know. Um, but that's obviously a consideration. And like Malgan played 844 against Arizona. No shots. He actually doesn't have a shot since the first game. This is kind of what I thought would happen with him. And this is why I would have put Robertson on the team right away. But like, regardless, like they gave him an opportunity. We'll see if Robertson's able to, to take it. Like he did look different in the preseason. Don't you think? Like he, again, preseason, like the, the stakes are so weird in those games because for some guys it's like jobs on the line. And for 
the regulars, it's like, well, I'm just trying to not to get hurt and trying to get my yeah. win back. You know what I mean? Well, and some nights you're playing against lineups that are just like not NHL players. It, they'd be players more of the caliber that Malgan was used to seeing in, in Switzerland. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to he's gonna have to distinguish himself here pretty quick. Or, I mean, I, I can't really think of an argument to keep him in the lineup right now, which is problematic for him i wonder if he i mean like if i don't if he gets waived i don't know that anyone's going to claim him at this point and um they don't need to waive him right now but i don't know like he's he's got his four games but there's not going to be that many more opportunities nope nope especially if robertson takes this and and kind of runs with it and we'll see uh we're, i was going to get to simmons uh and robertson a bit later but maybe they put Simmons onto the fourth line just to kind of change things up. I mean, that's a consideration as well. Um, yeah. Uh, the one thing I, other thing I, I did want to mention before we take a break and then talk about some of the injuries, because we haven't mentioned those. There's some significant injuries. Um, Matthews. So I predicted he would score, I think 67 is where I ended up. Was I being crazy or are you just kind of erasing this little stretch and like in five games, he'll have 10 goals. You're, you're trying to jinx him by picking 67. <laughs> what is it? You just pick a cursed number. Remember it wasn't it Brandon. Cozy? 1967 Brandon Cozy makes the cursed. team and wears number 67. And everyone's like, what are you doing? That is a deep cut, man. <laughs> Brandon Cozen. Do you remember he made the team? He was on the second I line do. to start the season that one year. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, Matthews is shooting 4.8% right now, which I is probably not going to continue. So, you know, on, on his, his typical average shooting percentage, he would have three goals right now in four games, which is, he's going to come back. I just, it feels like the bar for him has been raised to such a ridiculous level that, like, there's a reason why no one has scored back-to-back 60-goal seasons in, like, what was the last time it happened? Like, Yager or something? Or Lemieux? It hasn't happened. It's actually... It's uh, Burray, I believe. No, but, but didn't Bur- Burray had like 58 and 59 or something, right? Like, I don't even think he had back-to-back 60-goal seasons. You know, Maybe it was Solani. Maybe it was. It was I looked it, this up. It's like 92-93, whoever that yeah, was. Yeah, like, that's bef- that's before Burray did it. Yeah, 92-93 was... No, I'm right. It's it's Burray. He had 60 and 60. Okay, with Florida? No, with Vancouver. Oh, okay. Because I, I know in the Florida years, he was just shy of 60. Okay. Yeah, he went fifty-eight and then fifty-nine with Florida. Jeez. Right, and th- those were the years when it was, the scoring was starting to drop. Yeah, I mean, Florida would play him like twenty-one minutes a game, and you know he was more James twenty-four. I had no idea he finished third for the Heart in ninety-nine two thousand. I didn't. know Well, that. the team wasn't very good, and he would they just played like the complete crap out of him, and then you were right. He played almost twenty-seven minutes the next year. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my yeah, god! Yeah, he, yeah. They played him like a defenseman. They had no one on that team, and they were paying him lots of money. And you know, and then it was a couple years later, and his knees are blown out. And anyway, I'm a. I grew up a big Beret fan because he obviously played in Vancouver and was just an amazing. Wait, can I add one thing to that, James? To your point, what's up? So the. 2000-2001 Florida Panthers, their leading scorer was Pavel Bure. He had 92 points. Their number two scorer, Victor Kozlov, with 37. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's actually a record. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that's the record for... I don't... Yeah. Well, Bure would just wow. get the puck and skate to the other end of the ice and score, and like some defenseman would get an assist or something. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Continue. Sorry. Um, 
I, I feel like the bar for Matthews is like if he has 57 goals this year or whatever, people are going to be like, oh, he disappointed. But, you know, with like the variance in, in shooting percentage and whatever, it's it's fully conceivable that he's more in like the 55 range than he is well over 60. So, you know, certainly he's got the talent to to do 60 again, but I think there's going to be... I think he's going to be in that that kind of like 55 to 65 range over the next couple of years, and we'll see what year this turns out to be. I'm sticking to it, James. He, I think he had won in the first seven games last year or something like that, and then he yeah. had a 50 and 50 streak, and he finished with 60 and 73. I'm going to hammer the under on the 67. I'm going to say he gets, I'm going to say he gets just to 60 is going to be my prediction. Okay. All right. Uh, well, let's take a break. We have tons of questions in the pod bag. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but first, we need to talk about the injuries. We'll be back in a sec. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, James. Um, significant injuries. Jake Muzzin, Matt Murray. Um, we're going to start with Murray just because I think that's the more... I don't want to say it's the more consequential because it, it might not be. Well, uh, but they let me just say, yeah, Jonas, like if we were coming into the season and we had to make one of the predictions we had to make was who are the two players most likely to be injured and spend yes. time on LTIR early in the season? Who would we have picked? Those two. Murray and Muzzin. That's when Muzzin went down. I was like, you know, this is this is pretty predictable that this had, had happened. And I wasn't joking. If you look at the the LTIR number, it's it's around 12 million. If if Muzzin goes on there, we'll see how significant his injury is. All right, well, let's start with Murray. Um, so on Saturday at the morning skate, he tweaks something, um, and then he, the Leafs come out and say he's going to miss at least four weeks with an adductor injury. Um, they did that awfully fast, didn't they? They 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 knew yeah. they knew he was out for a while really quickly, which to me says it's yep. going to be longer than four weeks. Yep. And so I was saying to you that day, like I'm kind of blown away by this and yet not blown away by this because like that was to me the big question with him was could he stay healthy, not could he just be fine. Um what were your initial reactions when like I guess you would you were probably the same as me, you weren't surprised, but like one game into his least career and he's going to miss at least a month. I I don't know, I'm of the belief you can never predict injuries and but you know, with him, I, I know you went through and he's been on LTIR, I think, seven times in the last four or five years. So injuries have certainly been a big part of the story of how does a guy, you know, who's a, a young goalie on the rise, wins Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh, looks like he's going to be one of the, you know, one of the, the next starters in the league for a long period of time and then loses his way. Um, injuries are a big part of that. 
you know, and, and he hasn't had, what was his last fully healthy season? It's been such a long period, it's of, like period of time for 18, him. 19, I think, where so, he plays, I think, 50 games. So, the, the biggest red flag, and I, and I remember, I know it's one that, credit to you, I mean, you talked about right when they acquired him and all the way through that, that injuries were the the biggest problem here, not necessarily how well he could play. Because we saw at flashes last year with Ottawa where, you know, he can be a good goaltender. But injuries is just, I don't know, it's tough. You know, in the, I had thought he had had groin injuries before, but it doesn't look like it, right? This looks like something new. So, it's not as if there's like a chronic thing that's happening again and again. It seems like it's just injuries coming from all over. And, you know, Ottawa grew really frustrated with him and how hurt he was and, and everything in that relationship there soured and it's a tough place to be. And I think that, you know, if Murray was in the last year of his contract, I think the Leafs are in a bit better position because you can, you know, whatever, if you can bury it for one year or whatever, having that second year is going to be highly problematic if he's hurt a lot of this year. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, James, like you even go back to those cups you mentioned, like he was hurt during those cup runs. Like he, he's just been literally injured pretty much his entire NHL career. And like, you look at him physically, he's really tall. Like he's, how tall are you? I am six, five. Okay. So he's basically your height. He's really, really, really skinny. Like I'm he's built like, like a lot of the goalies. I, I know where you're going with this. I'm six, five. And I got my dad bod now, but I'm still only like 190. I'm still pretty thin. He's basically you in terms of like, <laughs> I should have been a goalie. a lot more fit and stronger and everything like that. I'm stomping around as a, like a 6'5 centerman in my beer league games. I should have been a goalie. I'm trying to convince <laughs> my kids to play goal, but they don't seem to be having any of it. You should just stand in front of the net and go like tip pucks and goes to Dana Char. But anyway, my point is like, you just see him without his gear and like, he's not, like he's very skinny and now that does that can mean nothing. Um, but obviously he's what, not what do they list him at, Jonas, in terms of like... I think he's at, listed at 204. Okay. Well, that's not that skinny for a goalie. I mean, like... For a guy who's six foot five? See, my thing is... This must be outdated. My thing says he's 178 pounds. You're looking at like yeah, the team website? That's, yeah, that's outdated. Yeah. Well, some of the goalies like come in or like... Remember Ryan Miller? Like Ryan was always like... He's like 6'3", like 165 or something. You know, like there's some goalies that can... Some guys are like Laner and they play at a, or or Anderson and they play at at a huge weight, but there's other goalies that are really really thin that that can pull it off and and well, that's I'm glad you brought up Anderson. It's just because like you would see Anderson over the long time he was here and like he's six five whatever, but he's huge. Like he's yeah. like 240 pounds. Well, and that was him um, slimming down. Like when he came into the league, yes. he, yeah. But the thing with and he was like 260. You see Anderson up close, and also he's he. He's like built, Freddie Anderson's built the way you think, like if you wanted to build a human being to be a goalie, because he's yes. like not that that wide. Like if you look at like the, he's like super wide across, but not the other way, yes. if that makes sense. Like it's, he's like, he, he's, yes, it's like if you wanted Great to build, call. if you wanted to build like a cardboard cutout. EA sports goalie. Yeah. If you wanted to build like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a shooter tutor out of like, you know, like a mannequin or something. That's what he's built like. Like it's just a, he's, his shoulders are in his body is so wide across, but then it's not like he's, anyway, it's, he's, uh, so it's amazing to me the guys that can be like really tall and skinny can, can stop as many pucks as they do. Yes. Um, and so like you said, like four weeks at minimum, do you, what do you think 
Ilya Samsonov can, and it's Samsonov, not Samsonov, as we've per- been pronouncing it. I think he changed it. Um, but do you think like Samsonov can kind of just stabilize and like, we don't even know what happens when Murray gets back. Like we saw with Peter Mrazek last year with all his groin injuries, like it really kind of adds another wild card to the situation. I saw we, we get sometimes we get great comments on on the athletic and there was a Capitals fan that was reading your Samsonov story, which I think came out on Monday. And mm-hmm. I, I don't you probably didn't see this, but the, the Capitals fan said Samsonov when he was like the backup and had to come in once in a while, he was really, really good. But anytime it came to him and, it, and he was in the spotlight and he had to be the starter for a prolonged period of time, things went sideways. And it, it was either mm. it was either like the pressure or whatever got it focus whatever it is whatever right? it hard. is they they said that in washington it would continually happen where you know the goalie would get hurt and he would step in and it just it wouldn't work out when he had to carry the ball so that's a that's a bad omen if uh if that proves true here um i didn't think well james like just I, just I, I was gonna say, for a sec uh, yeah i was just gonna say eric shalgren didn't give me a ton of confidence against arizona i'll put it that way no i mean like i know he was fine. Like he was like sub 900. He was like 890 last year when he came up. Like it's not like he's a a great option, but like with Samsonov, like it's a pretty big indictment when the team that drafts you in the first round, who needs a goalie, you're you're only 25 and they're like, no, we're not qualifying you. Like we just want to be done. Like that's, that's not great. Well, they had problems with his like maturity and his attitude and like they just, they didn't believe in him anymore. Yeah. But I mean, this is as, good an opportunity as he had like you i credit to you like you I, I said it was kind of crazy like that we're making this game like that they're gonna be even and like whoever plays more or plays better is gonna like i i thought clearly murray is their intentional number one and they're just saying this stuff to kind of maybe lighten the pressure a little bit uh but you said like who knows like maybe samsonov will play better and that hasn't happened it's obviously been an injury, but like Samsonov could just take the job and run with it. And like he could get himself paid next summer if he performs, but I don't know. Like, does he have that in him? Is I, the question. I also would say that Samsonov has been pretty good too, right? Like he's, he's been the game, two games that he's played. I think he's played well and he played well in the preseason. Eh, so the first like, game he wasn't, he was, uh, yeah, I, yeah, he got the, he ended up winning the game, you know, like he, he I don't know. Anyway, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the schedule is not not that tough. He's going to play a lot here, you know. And Sheldon Keefe said that was the reasoning for Shogren playing against Arizona, which I don't I don't hate. Um, yeah, I don't hate that. They didn't lose because of Shogren. <laughs> the Leafs should be able to win even if Shogren lets in three goals. Like, yeah, that's eh. basically an AHL team. Like that's. Um, Anyway, before uh, we get to the pod bag, let's talk briefly about Muzzin. We don't know how long he'll be out, but I'm presuming he'll miss some time. Um, this is kind of part of the fear. Like, you just hope for his sake, like, it's not related to the stuff that he went through before with the two concussions he had in a month. And those were, like, really hard on him. The least really took it carefully with him. He missed, like, six weeks after the second concussion. Uh, so you just hope it's not that uh, for Jake Muzzin, right? Yeah, I mean... I, I wonder with Lilgren out and, and Muzzin out and Jordy Ben out, all of a sudden the blue line's looking pretty thin and, and Justin Hall not playing well and you know there's 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 alarm bells starting to go off on the blue line as well. Like it's we we've mostly just talked about the goalies and, and a little bit about 
some of the, the forward lines that haven't succeeded, but the defense has been deeply, Not great. deeply troubling. Well, you have so many factors, right? Like you have Giordano's 39, Muzzin is now hurt. Hall has not had a good start. Um, Sandine's playing his offside. We'll see if that changes. That probably changes now. Um, anyway, we can talk more about that. I think we'll get to some questions in the pod bag. So James, let's take a break and dig into the pod bag. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Take over, James. The podcast is yours. The floor is yours. A reminder to support your local businesses as always. All right. Curtis is back again. Curtis is frequently dropping really good uh, questions on here. And, you know, I, I tend to read first the ones that get upvoted, and he's got he's got a whole bunch of upvotes for his questions. So he's got three. Uh, the first one, and I have to bring this one up. He says, remember, remember when Jonas said he didn't want to go to the Arizona game and James encouraged him to go because <laughs> of how telling a game it would be. It's scary how right you were, James. You're right, Curtis. I was very, very right about that. But here's, you know what? I, I, I did want to mention this early on and I forgot. <laughs> I know we, it, it feels like a big deal now. It, I don't know how big a deal it actually is. Like they lost two games to Arizona last year, and did it really matter? I guess it could have mattered on the standings. Well, is where it just it might be one of those early season sp- spiral things that happens here that that game is a part of, right? Fair, yeah, fair. Uh, okay, Curtis's actual question. Thank you for thank you for saying how right I was. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, he he says it seems this is a perfect segue off of the question off of what we were just talking about before the break. Curtis says it seems like the Leafs defense is really struggling. Um, do they need to reconsider how they've constructed the D and look at getting younger, more mobile defensemen? Uh, and he also says it seems as if Logren and Sandine haven't played together a lot at the NHL level. Do you see them? Do you see the Leafs potentially going with them as a pair when when Logren gets back? So both those questions are sort of related. Um, it, it does well, feel like the Leafs blue line needs to get faster and like a bit more spry than it's become. It's interesting that they've kind of, you know, they want this puck possession offensive high-flying team, and then they have a back end that's not really that way. Well, their eye is towards the playoffs, and they believe those kinds of defenses are what you need in the playoffs, and I tend to agree. It's just like Sandin's playing his offside, Logan's not been here, and then you look at the rest of the blue line, it's like Brody's... 31 or 32 Muzzin's 33 going on 34 Hall I think you said was 30 right he's going on 31 
Giordano's 39 and like they're not like those guys are not what you would call quick or particularly mobile um but like they're thinking bigger picture in mind uh and and Sandy and Lilgren played together a bunch last year right like that was probably their most frequent third pair but I think the interesting question uh Curtis points out is like should they change the construction I think that gets to should they keep Riley and Brody together well, okay, so what do you do? let's say Logan's out still a little while longer. Muzzin's going to miss. Let's say he misses two or three weeks, and uh, yep. and Ben's not going to be back. In the so you're down those three. Dahlstrom's out. Uh, we know the Leafs are looking around the league for another depth defenseman, someone who's going to be like a seven, eight, nine kind of defenseman. So not not nothing mm-hmm. nothing that exciting. Um, and let's say they do decide to break up Riley and and Brody. What do you do? Do you have Do you have a thought? Yeah, I've thought about this. Like, I mean, if you were going to break up Riley and Brody, you'd probably put Brody back with Giordano, and then the question becomes, okay, well, who do you play with Riley? So maybe, maybe you play Justin Hall with Riley. They've they've not really Oof. done that very much. Uh, I gotta I say, mean, Jonas, are, to interrupt you, Justin Hall to yeah. me has looked the definition of a third pair defenseman the last. Uh, other than, you know what, James? Uh, great, great goal he got there at the end of the uh, the Ottawa game. But other than that, I mean, it, the, some of the flubs with the puck and whatever have been brutal. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It really is exactly what happened to him last year. Like this is how the year basically started. That he would, he had a lot of trouble with the puck. He's got the yips. Like it's it's almost like his confidence or like he's just completely in his head. And it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's not looking but good. So, so that's the problem with breaking up Riley Brody. It's like, well, who do you play with with Riley? So let's say it's not Hall. You're not going to play Mete there. You're not. You're going to play Sandine on his his right side there. Probably not. So I, I think maybe what you do is you keep Riley Brody together. You play Giordano with Hall, and you play Sandine with Mete, and you just protect the hell out of that third pair. It's like it's not it's not great, but I don't I don't really I don't know I don't see a great solution if you split those guys up. And yet, I I would get doing it. It seemed like coming into the year that, and I know we go have so many questions to get to, and we're short on time because you're going to the the practice here. But um, it seemed like coming into the year, it's like, oh, they're seven strong D. You know, they they've got seven guys who who can all play at the NHL level, and then all you know, it doesn't. Logan Logan goes down. Hall doesn't play well, and Muzzin goes out, and it's all of a sudden now you're down to they don't look very sturdy at all. And I think yeah, they, but like if James, if you lose two of your top seven to injury and then like another guy doesn't play well it's like well well this is why they wanted to have they wanted to have been around right like they wanted to have some more nhl caliber guys that the seven eight position that could just come in if there were injuries and when you have even he could be back soon though i think he'll be back soon yeah i saw he was in the press box of the game i went to and he looked he looked like he was what was his injury was lower body something right it was groin right and it was three weeks and that was the end of september so he's probably pretty close I can't say I could tell how his groin was feeling by... So, James, like, sorry to keep interrupting you. I really apologize. But, like, let's say Ben is able to come back sometime soon. You could do Riley, Ben, Giordano, mm-hmm. Brody, and then you could do a third pair Sandine of... Sandine Hall. Sandine Hall. Yeah. I think that's probably what you do when Ben can play. Maybe. It's a lot to ask him to come in at his age when he hasn't played <laughs> yeah. and he's coming off an injury. But you're going to play him 10 minutes, right? right. Like, you're not going to play him a lot. Uh... Perry says, "There's and like I told you, there's a lot of questions about Sheldon Keefe. Perry says, would a defensive coach like Barry Trotz be any better than Sheldon Keefe? 
for this group of players. They were like eighth in the league in expected goals five on five last year, something like that. They were a good defensive team. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, it, it, they just haven't looked like it so far this year. Is that I, I guess what I don't know. It's it's one of those things that honestly, I I everyone's going to be if they continue to lose games, everyone's going to be calling for the coach. And there was like some betting site that said he was the most likely to be like he's not the most likely. Sean Gentilly, who writes for us, did a coach's hot seat on like Monday, I think, and like Sheldon Keefe is not at the top of the list. Like if you're Lindy Ruff is at the top of the list. Lindy Ruff is on a team that. They they have expectations that they want to climb the the standings a little bit in New Jersey. They're off to a terrible start, and they have Andrew Brunette as an assistant coach there, who's who was very very good in Florida last year. So, you know, Lindy Ruff is the one is the one who's most likely if you want to go place your bets or whatever. Um, so there's there, and it, I lost my train. I thought there, uh, everyone's going to point to the coach, change the coach as a way to get this team going. I would make a trade. If this if this team is is mired in is is a mess after fifteen or twenty games and is still struggling, I would shake something up and, and make some kind of a deal. Well, we're not there yet, right? Like we're only four games. No, in. I know, but everyone like you should see yeah. how many of the of the ninety nine questions we have that are about Sheldon Keefe and should he get fired? Like it's there's a lot of them. That that narrative is is building and building, and I do not agree with it. Nor do I. What's next? Tim says, without knowing precisely what the danger is, would you say it's time for the Leaf Report listeners to crack each other's heads open and feast on the <laughs> on the goo inside? What you, is it time to panic, Jonas? It's a bit too I early. I don't think so. It's a bit too yeah, early. Yeah, like if you go back to last year, like you mentioned it, they had that really rough start. Maybe they played that really bad game in Chicago. And it was like, oh my God, it really felt tense. I'm sure you remember that. So they opened that season with a win in, against Montreal. Then they lost to Ottawa, beat Ottawa, and then lost four straight, a 7-1 game, a 7-1 loss to Pittsburgh, a 5-3 loss to San Jose. Man, Hutchinson was playing that night. Hutch, just can't quit that guy, huh? And then they started to turn things around. Remember there was that game in Carolina where Sheldon Keefe was like, we lost, but like... We, I thought there was something in that and then they won five straight in like nine of 10 or was that 10 of 11? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Wow. They went on a real big heater. I forgot how big of a heater it was. They won five, lost one, won five, lost one, won five. Yep. And that could happen again. (laughs) So that's, that's why four games in you, you don't want to like mash that panic button too much but that's but that's to our the point of our discussion at the top is like was it too soon to kind of press these buttons and to your point like they're in a like a a do or die kind of season but it's also four games in so so jeff asks uh should we overreact underreact or not react at all to the leafs unimpressive record when they're the massive favorite dom had a stat that when the leafs are as big a favorite like a minus 200 favorite as they were against Arizona. They have the worst record of any team when they're that big of a favorite in in the league. Which suggests they play down to their competition. Is that yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, they've done it for years too. They've done it for with this core. They've done it. I remember like pre pandemic they were doing it. It's been it's been like four or five years of this. Yeah. Oh, here's a good question that we need to get to before. On the podcast, uh, Jake asked about the uh, officiating and the hand pass. Uh, do you find the uh, the hand pass call problematic? 
It seemed even the on-ice official was incredulous about the call. Um, can we get away from the notion that a minor infraction before a goal is the a cause enough to disallow the goal? What do you, how did you feel about the the what happened there on the the goal being called back? I got to be honest. I I don't recall ever seeing that where a goal is scored and then they review it for that. Have you ever seen that? Like I thought it was weird, and I don't think it was conclusive. Would be my only thing. Hmm, what wasn't conclusive? That do you think the stick was? That was the only thing that could have been different. As if like the Arizona player's stick had knocked it down. Yeah, I don't think it was conclusive that like he batted it to a teammate. Well, you don't have to bat it to a teammate. It if if the first person that gets control of the puck after a hand pass. Is a teammate. It, like it, he doesn't have to try and hit it to him. It doesn't matter. It just, yeah. It, to that's me, that's the way the rule is written. Is that in the offensive zone, if you touch it with your glove, either you got to get it or the other team has to get it. Because if if it goes to a teammate, then it gets blown dead. The, you know what's funny, Jonas, is that so the goal they score the goal with thirty nine seconds left. And I was watching the game and I was thinking this: if they score that goal with a minute and two seconds left. It's not a reviewable play from the situation room and it probably doesn't... Which is get, so dumb. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Just because they scored in the last minute, then it gets reviewed for a hand pass. But if it, if, if it's scored with a minute and 10 seconds, it's not reviewed? NHL, man. I, I don't know. Like Common sense is not always a thing here. Here's the thing that like a lot of fans say they made the wrong call. That's the right call on that rule. Like That is how that rule works. And uh, we on The Athletic this morning, I don't know if you read it yet, Jonas, we had an interview with a former NHL referee who explained why that's the right call. That That's the way that it's supposed... But like, I, they probably shouldn't be video reviewing hand pass calls, I don't think. But we're No, in- unless like he's like shoveling it to... Martin, but then the like ref would have like, got that, right? Like they would have, you know, the officials would have seen that on the ice. They would have called it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be taking away goals. The only way that. that I think that it's not is if is if the stick, I think it was Clayton Keller, had his stick kind of like in Riley's hand. It was such a weird play. Like, so if if Keller's stick is the, what hits the puck and bats it down, then it's not a hand pass. But it, I don't know how you can tell whether, even on our video review, how can you tell whether the stick or the glove knocked it down? Yeah, that's, it, a, it didn't seem conclusive that, I don't know. Uh, a different Curtis, this one's spelled differently, uh, says, uh, why isn't anyone talking about how good John Tavares has been? Uh, he missed all of training camp. He looked a step quicker than last year. Uh, and he's been playing better than Matthews to start the year. Well, I don't know if I'd say that. I think I think Tavares' skating has looked good, is what I would say. Yeah, I think he's been fine so far. I mean, they're making a very clear effort to get him started on offense as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have a five-on-five goal. He's got a goal and four assists. One of those goal, or the only goal, came on the power play. Um, yeah, I mean, given what he went through, I think it's been okay. The injury's a you? good point, too. Like, you miss a bunch of training camp when you're 33 years old. And, you know... 32. It could have been... Well, and he came back early from that injury, too. Uh, Pony Boy says he loves the podcast. Thank you, Pony Boy. Love the Outsiders, right, James? Uh, is that what that's from? Okay. Yeah. All right. You've seen that movie 100%. Yeah, a long time We've ago. We've talked about that movie on here before. A long, anyway, go ahead. A long time ago, yeah. Uh, Pony Boy wants an assessment of the new Leafs players so far based on preseason in the four games. I don't know if I'd read a lot into preseason. Is there anyone 
I don't know if we can go through the whole list. I mean, they have like eight or nine new players. Is there any of the, of the new players who you think would be worthwhile for us to talk about that we haven't talked about already on the show? We could talk a little bit about Yarncroak. Obviously, he's the guy that they, or Cali, as I like to call him. Uh, he's the guy, obviously, that they made the longest commitment to, four years, $2.1 million cap it. I do like the idea of him. Like He's kind of like another Kerfoot who can kind of play anywhere, mm-hmm. play in all situations. He's really fast. He plays really hard. Um, he's smart. I've liked him. I think the other two guys, like Aston Reese has been okay. I think Abe Kubel is really still trying to get comfortable. He, yeah, he looks like he's not sure of where he's supposed to be sometimes on the ice. Yeah, and you got to remember, like he's still a very young player in the league. Like he's not played a long time. Um, and then who's the other? So I guess the goalies. And we talked about the goalies. Uh, Pony Boy's other question is: Can you give any insight into the Wayne Simmons situation? Our colleague Joshua Cloak has a story on the Athletic that that gets into some of those things. I mean, it's he doesn't want to retire. He's under contract. He also doesn't want to play for the Marlies, basically. So he's kind of in limbo here and. You know, he cleared waivers, so he's kind of waiting for an opportunity. I, it'll be interesting to see if the Leafs play him against Dallas. I, I think that the Leafs probably saw enough of Wayne Simmons and have made their assessment on... It certainly felt like in training camp that it was pretty clear he wasn't going to make the team. Well, maybe this gives you an opportunity for him to play and maybe another team can see him in a real game and be like, eh, he could help us a little bit. Maybe that's the thinking. The only thing, James, like I wondered is like, I get why you would obviously call him up like you have the opportunity to. It's just like then you kind of kick this can down the road where the same thing is going to happen later, probably, you know, where you have to wave him. What what may happen is if he doesn't get claimed again and he, if he decides he doesn't want to play for the Marlies, his option is going to be to retire. You know, I know that that's not, that's not what Wayne Simmons want. You know, he's a battler. He's under contract. But at some point, like if, if another team doesn't want you – and, and you don't, don't want to play in the other. You don't want to play in the AHL. There's nowhere to go. So it's tough. It's tough when the end comes, you know. And we could see yeah. it. We could see it last year. And he's had. He's such a great story and a good person and all of those things. And he'll probably end up working in the front office and or or working in development or, or something in the organization. But um, he's in a he's in a tough spot right now. He's he's fighting to stay uh, stay in the league. All right, James, you have time for one quick question. Quick, quick, quick. <sighs> is the, Tom says, is the goalie that starts game one of the playoffs for the Leafs currently on another team? It's really going to depend how Sam, right? it's going to depend how Sam Snob does here. And yeah, but it, it could be, it could be. I mean, if they get to the trade deadline and the problem is if they get to the trade deadline and, and their biggest need is a goalie, they're not going to be able to upgrade at defense and forward and Certainly on defense, we're seeing we're seeing some of the issues there right now. All right. Good podcast, James. It's been fun. The Leafs are on the road next week. Out west. I'll be out west. I think we're going to record when I'm in Vegas. Huh? Oh, man. You're going to be... That's fun. You're going to be a shell of yourself. Nah, I'm not much of a Vegas-y <laughs> kind of guy. I think the That's last time I was there, I stayed out to like four in the morning. And then the next day, Mike Babcock got got let go in arizona so that was that was a fun sequence of (laughs) of events boy (laughs) all right well james has been fun thank you to everyone for listening um any other closing thoughts no i mean 
people let me know if they want some more uh, spoken word leaves poetry because I can, that was excellent. <laughs> can crank out another one of those maybe next time. Well, hopefully for the leaf's sake, it's not because they had a disastrous loss. Like that was that was tough. All right, James, it's early. Four games in. We'll be back next week when we have a little bit more data to mine through. Goodbye.